0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com/give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Season 2 of Star Trek Picard, Hide and Seek. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. I don't finally get a little action in this episode. <laughs> That's right. It's action Picard. So we uh, we do have a little bit of listener feedback at the end of the episode. So stick around for that. I want to uh, tell you, encourage you to follow The Secrets of Star Trek in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Tune in. You can find it in your favorite podcast app or even at the StarQuest YouTube channel, where you should also make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy. And I'll encourage you to check out The Secrets of Movies and TV shows. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash
1: secrets. So if you're saying if you enjoy the Star Trek movies and TV shows, you might enjoy other movies and TV shows, too. Or our discussion of such,
0: which uh, it's not just the three of us. There's actually a lot of people who take part in those episodes. But yes, yes. Uh, So, Jimmy, could you give us a recap of what happens in
1: Hide and Seek? Last time, Queen Agnes Borgified a bunch of special ops dudes and started coming to take the La Serena. This time, she succeeds. Everybody else regroups outside Chateau Picard, where it is always night, and they get caught in a firefight with the new Borg. Rios is shot in the arm, and he, Teresa, and her kid transport back to Talon's pad. While there, Teresa takes the bullet out of his arm, and makes, and the two make lots of goo-goo eyes and kiss again, but eventually he beams back to France. While he was gone, Picard and Talon go through the tunnels under the house, and Picard relives his boyhood memories, including the death of his mother. It turns out that his dad, Gaius Baltar, had locked his mother in a room for her own safety to keep her from harming herself. But she begged the young Jean-Luc to let her out. He did, and she then committed suicide by hanging herself. And out of guilt, he's blocked out this memory all these years. Meanwhile, Seven and Rafi make their way back and get on board the La Serena, and on board the ship, Queen Agnes is having split personality troubles, as Agnes is stopping the Queen from doing everything she wants. Agnes even locks her out of the ship and out of the ship's control systems and summons a holographic emergency combat program in the form of Elnor to deal with the Borg on the ship. Between Hollow Elnor's efforts and the fact Seven gets control of the transporter and beams a bunch of Borg inside solid matter, they regain the upper hand. But then the Queen takes back the upper hand, forcing off or turning off Hollow Elnor and fatally stabbing Seven. This brings on new personality conflicts, and Agnes makes a deal with the Queen to try to start a kindler, gentler Borg collective. The Queen then heals Seven, giving her back her Borg implants. Seven gives the Queen the ship and lets her go and start her new collective. But Adam Sung is still out there, still trying to become the founder of the new dystopian future. And the Queen left a mysterious message for Picard. For their mission to succeed... There must be two Rene Picards: one who lives and one who dies. The end. Very good.
0: It's interesting you mentioned the uh, "It's always night" at Chateau Picard because that is my very first note
1: on this episode. Why yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was it? It was like my third note. Meanwhile, back in France, where it is always night. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I mean, by the end, when they've defeated the forces of darkness and dawn. because they have they've made this very obvious metaphor for little on the nose to, yeah to but. be
2: fair though i mean they did beam out of los angeles in the afternoon which means it would be night in france but still yeah you got to have the ominous blue light it's dark and spooky, and the sea, you see the laser beams, which, by the way, is not how laser sights work, by nope. the way. You don't actually see the beam. You just see the dot. Well, yeah.
0: the beam, if you could see the beam and its origin point, that's a very bad idea.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the only time you'll see the beam is if, like, you're in smoke or fog, yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shoot the guy who's got the gun, uh, which yeah, they do. Yeah, my thing...
1: Yeah. My thing, so France is like nine hours ahead of, uh, depending on whether daylight savings time or not, sure. but it's, mm-hmm. France is like nine hours ahead of West Coast time. And so whenever I'm thinking about, I need to contact someone in, in you know, the Western part of Europe, it's like, okay, add nine. And what does that turn into? So you, it's only nine, it's not 12. So you can mm-hmm. like both be day or both be night, but Every single time they've shown us France up to now, it's always been, it's always been night. Yeah. And, and we've been going back and forth between day and night when we're in Los Angeles um and so it just seems a little improbable that it's not like it's all that all of our stuff has been during the day they went to the super chocolate fudgy going away party for astronauts and that was at night yep (laughs) um but we've never seen france in the daytime in the 24th century yet
0: another odd question that someone brought up is what happened to the cop the french cop that the queen killed and like why has no one come looking for him
1: I, I thought they. I thought they let him go, but maybe I'm. Mistaken. They dumped him off in
2: his cop car, so he was not just dead. kind of. He was not. No, he was. He was. He was saved by the ship. The by the, yeah. the sick bay. They uh, saved him. It's just oh,
0: okay. It was only mostly. Dead. But he. They
2: stuck him in the car. Yeah. <laughs> so you still think they'd be snooping around to try to figure out why this guy responded to a call there and, and ended up getting beat up and dropped off in his car? But still, <laughs> now another thing. To, thing we need to remember too is these. This season is only operating over like three days. Real time, so
0: right. That's this
2: isn't like this has been a long you know year or something like that. There's only been a couple of days.
1: Speaking of seasons, I so I was reflecting on this was I was thinking about this episode, and I think I like this season of Picard better than the last. Mm -hmm. The last had a Mm -hmm. lot of it was nice to see Picard and the Star Trek universe back. It was nice to see a lot of individual cool concepts they were playing with, but. Actually, in terms of enjoyment, I think I enjoy this season more. Mm-hmm. At least that's my current impression. Yeah, I,
2: I, I agree. No, actually, I do agree. Um, I, I do like this one a little bit, little bit better. Um, I, I know that's some of the talk I've seen online, including our, our, our Discord. Is it's the opposite, but I, mm. I, I do kind of like this one more. And the only, only reason why I kind of hesitate is because they stretched out the middle of it so much. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of ruined it i think if they compressed it a little bit more mm -hmm. it would be a lot more enjoyable
1: Hmm. i miss ships in space but that's me well that's next season yeah yeah Yeah. hopefully um (laughs) one of the things i liked in i was noticing in this episode now that um the queen has is largely in control of agnes Mm -hmm. is that the actress has so we had an unusual portrayal of the borg queen By the actress who's playing her, she's much more relaxed and casual, but Mm -hmm. also ruthless. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Agnes, the actor playing Agnes has a notable shift in her performance between when she's playing Agnes and when she's playing the queen. And Mm -hmm. she modifies her performance to be not exactly like the actress playing the queen, but more in that direction Mm -hmm. of the kind of casual totalitarian you know right thing she's got going on
0: almost yeah well i was gonna think of uh like um kira narice in the all in the mirror universe a little bit of the uh what i forget what her her, the Intendant, the Intendant. yeah Yeah, oh she was over the top yeah that was a little over the top on that one yeah that's i would say um that she did that she does a really good job of making it clear when it's agnes and when it is the the board queen i I do think Mm -hmm. that they did a good job of that in, in this
1: yeah. And she I like in this when she's talking to the Queen or her mental image of the Queen, it she is mad. Yes. It's, especially at the beginning. It's like, I've been mucking around in that mind of yours and wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: we do get a little bit of the agnes of the of last season who was a bit a bit homicidal in there you know that mm-hmm. agnes of last season yep. was not a a, a, a welcome mat it, you know we, that was your our first imp- my first impression i don't know but for others but she was a bit of a welcome mat character and then we saw no there's a lo- there's a lot more going on in there yeah exactly. and i think i i see that a little more in this character this season mm-hmm. so
1: that that's pretty good um also, partly because she was under that mind control influence from the Vulcan security officer who was secretly a Romulan. Right. Right. Commodore On or whatever her name was. Yep. Right. One thing that occurred to me, I was thinking about the queen and her attitude towards all this because they set it up so that she essentially entrapped Agnes into killing her just so she can infect Agnes. With nanoprobes mm-hmm. and now she's progressively borgifying agnes's body, you know like she when she comes mm-hmm. back to La Serena, the first thing she does is take off her Agnes clothes and go to the body locker where they've got the yep. queen's body yep. and, you know, get stuff and puts it on herself. And i ah, feeling more like myself now as her former body is just laying there. And I mm-hmm. thought, you know, for a Borg queen, swapping bodies may be like changing clothes.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: sure. And so that maybe she's, you know, letting someone kill your previous body so you can get another one and start modifying it is that may be everyday stuff for a Borg queen. Yeah, yep. that's creepy. Kind of like buying a million shoes or something.
0: Yes. Well, I
2: thought it was pretty much established that that the 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 queen just built the body as needed. You know, right. used the parts to build the body as needed. So,
0: and that there's never just one queen body out there. That there's there's a, right. spa- a spare, just like Emperor Palpatine. There's always a spare to go to.
1: Um, I, I also really like the sparring between Agnes mm-hmm. and the Queen. Um, you know, like when when Agnes says that she's locked the queen out of La Serena's systems. Uh, The queen looks at her very coldly. And this is the most, I mean, normally the queen has been very casual, but she's frustrated now because she wants to get out of here with this ship. And, and she turns and just very coldly says, I'll scrape that code from your mind, woman. Right. (laughs) And, and Agnes it, without missing a beat, says, Except I'm not an idiot and I didn't memorize the code. And I'm going, <laughs> Yes. Exactly.
0: <laughs> my pa- the, I, I made the password password. Yeah. <laughs> so, one, two, three, four, five. Oh, I, I want to mention, talk about like some of this sparring that is going on between the two of them, which is uh that Agnes says to the queen, We get this whole thing about the, 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 the the whole point of the Borg is to fight loneliness. She's like the queen is fighting mm-hmm. loneliness. It's not really looking for perfection. She just doesn't want to be alone. And so the Borg, in the way that they've envisioned him in this episode, are just an extension of the queen. It's not a true collective anymore. That's like the queen is now the head of the body. And if you want to use something that's a vaguely uh, Christian imagery. And and so the Borg themselves are just part of her instead of being a true collective which
2: they've kind of hinted at that going all the way back to first contact when they revealed the queen right? they've really kind of hinted Mm -hmm. that the queen is the controller of the collective and this makes it a little bit more of the collective was created because of the queen than it was that the queen is the head of the collective right? so I I don't think it's that radical of a change Um, I I think they do more emotionify it than they would have like first contact or voyager
1: yeah. yeah, originally before we had the queen in Star Trek First Contact, it was implied that this really was a collective hive mind. And then they made the queen and it's like, OK, you realize how much that changes this? Yeah, yeah. Because she's clearly in control of all this. I mean, it was supposed to be more like a
0: queen bee at first, but still, mm-hmm. yeah, still in control.
1: Yeah, but they've progressively made the queen more and more powerful. Once you give them a face... You know that face starts to attract all the attention, right? Um, the uh, which is actually kind of part of the original purpose of Lacutus, but they knew they mm-hmm. were going to undo that immediately. Yeah. Um, the although they actually when when season um, two of Star Trek: Next Generation wrapped, they actually did not have the best of both worlds part two plotted out yet. <laughs>
0: Right. So, so we didn't know they where we were, were going a, with that.
1: Yeah. T- taking a big risk there. And mm-hmm. I think if I remember correctly, there was a, if based on background reading I've done, I think there was a chance that Patrick Stewart might have left the series at that point. Oh, wow. Um, mm. But that uh, would have been a big mistake. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, but they were able to work things out. Touching on your, your Christian um, analogy there, so with the mystical body of Christ, of which mm-hmm. Christ is the head mm-hmm. and the church is his members, um, as Pius, Pope Pius XII pointed out in his encyclical Mystici Corporis on the mystical body of Christ, what make, part of what makes Christ's body a mystical union rather than a physical union is that the individual members of Christ's body, although they are influenced by God's grace, they retain their autonomy. And do not lose their identities and become just subservient parts of the whole like the cells in our physical bodies do. Um, So we retain our individual dignity, we retain our free will and uh, individual purposes and so forth. But we're united towards a common thing, which is God, our Mm -hmm. creator and savior. Um, And it sounds like what... um, what Agnes at the end is proposing to the queen right. is something more like that, where yeah. there's more autonomy for the individual members of the collective.
0: It's it's a co-op. Uh, yeah, almost. <laughs> I was thinking like it's almost like a church that she proposes. Uh, and we can get to that, but but we'll, we'll get talk there, more yeah. about that. But uh, so you mentioned Agnes locks down the celestrina with the fractal password that she embeds in emergency combat Elnor. Oh. And and
1: then she tells the queen that's where the code is. It's like, <laughs> yeah. don't do that. I mean, I know the audience needs to know, but Hollow Elnor can tell that to Raffian Seven later. You don't right. need to have this information disclosed yep. to the queen because that's going to tell her just how important this hollow mo- thing is. So but at first now, I was a little annoyed. Oh, go ahead, Father Corey. Oh, I was going to say
2: now. No, first of all, Dom, you, you, it's not the emergency combat hologram. It's the Elnor combat hologram. <laughs> yeah, that's right, you, Elnor combat on. hologram. Right.
0: By the way, with with the uh, mobile emitter, the, okay. the dog's mm-hmm. mobile emitter. That's what I was about to say. Because at first I was annoyed, like, why do they have to hunt down this hologram? It's it's a com- program in the computer, which always drives me crazy how they treat holograms. But if the program has been downloaded into a hollow emitter, mm, that's different. Which it has, okay. They have to check I, it I didn't down.
2: notice it at first, but all of a sudden it was actually the scene where, where Elnor's hollow Elnor is talking to Seven Yura- yeah. Yurati, or Seven and Rafi. I, you can see it much yeah. more clearly on his sleeve that yeah. on his shoulder that he had the, the mobile emitter on
1: it. I so was also kind of annoyed with how they were handling technology too, because I have in my notes. Why can't they show Elnor like going through a weapons locker? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. looking for stuff. And I'm going, why can't hollow Elnor just materialize whatever weapon he wants? Someone. And and further, why can't they make dozens of Elnors?
0: So one thing that someone said is that scene where he's going through the weapons is an homage to Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, where almost the exact same thing happens with a character where they go through the weapons and end up with a sword. So
1: super, but yeah not logical in this context no towards safety
2: protocols (laughs) they could actually say the safety protocols are working and a hollow
0: sword won't cut but a real sword wielded by a hologram although the Mm -hmm. combat hologram Mm -hmm. well i was also wondering why why elnor like oh he has all the skills you program every martial art into, uh, you know, a, a Dom yeah. DeLuise hologram. It will still be an emergency <laughs> combat hologram. Keanu Reeves. I know Kung Fu. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know we want to get the character and the actor back in it. It has an emotional resonance. I understand the story reasons, the dramatic. Cheaper, reasons. You don't have to
1: hire another actor.
0: Right, right, right. I get that. Although Dom yeah. DeLuise hologram as a combat hologram would be really fun. Anyway, I just watched Ergo especially on Star especially
1: against these Borg that shoot like stormtroopers, despite the fact they're special ops. Uh,
0: yes, mm. I know. Yeah, they they uh, they he takes them up fairly readily. Uh, so then we have this, um, well, and
1: they just never kill anybody. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the best they're able to do is inflict a flesh wound on Rios, right? It, which it of is, course immediately gets him beamed out of there. Yeah, it
0: is really a flesh wound, <laughs> it's just, like like a lot of uh, combat sh- uh, shooting in TV. So we do get these multiple flashbacks of mom and dad, Picard and Jean-Luc and Jean-Luc playing uh, hide and seek with his mom. And she seems to want to go to the tunnels. Not just seems to, she wants to go to the tunnels underneath the the Chateau, despite the danger. She wants him to come. And she says, you're my light, the light that always draws me out. So we have this imagery of the, of the mental illness and the darkness and how she says that Jean-Luc is what pulls her out of it. I'm not sure why she keeps wanting to go to the tunnels. Like maybe f- from a mental illness standpoint, it's a, I I it seemed like as
2: much yeah. metaphor as it was, you know, that the, the mental illness is like the tunnels, the darkness of the tunnels right. trapping her in. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Right. She also gives scientifically inaccurate inspirational speeches to her son, like talking about how the light you're seeing from the stars is billions of light years away and the star has since died. So you're looking at this depressing (laughs) star that flamed out, just like I'm in the process of flaming out. And I'm going technically, no, the stars that are billions of light years away, we can't see them with the naked eye. Nope. Right.
0: Right. We just see the light. Yeah. Uh, so, um, conveniently, our crew loses their advanced weapons. Like, oh, yeah. he, he, that bullet yep. shot my phaser rifle out of my hand. Oh, darn it! Like, come on.
1: So, I, I do like when they're beaming Rios out. Uh, with the with Teresa and the boy. Uh, Talin controls her transporter with the same kind of sonic screwdriver that the original Gary Seven had. Yes, that's true. And it's like, yes, Talin is using a sonic screwdriver. Awesome. <laughs> Yep. uh also when they're running around the
0: uh the 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 borg special ops drones who are really bad at their job as we said um they the the, the laser light the laser spotting things are all over our characters like if only they would pull yeah. the trigger at any point exactly just start shooting anyway yeah. they're automatic weapons just keep firing yes <laughs> so and then we have this conversation rafi says you should have joined starfleet and seven reveals now we have some interesting advancement of the seven character Why she never became Starfleet? She tried after Voyager got back, but Starfleet rejected her for being a Borg. So suspicion that of her loyalties, and Janeway even threatened to resign from Starfleet if they wouldn't let her if they if they didn't let her in, and they wouldn't relent. And so that's why she went off to become a Fenris Ranger.
1: Yeah, because she didn't, in part, because she didn't want Janeway to resign. Right, Um, Right. So she decided it wasn't worth it. And fans have have pointed out. Well, okay, Ichab joined Starfleet. He was in a Starfleet uniform when you brought him mm-hmm. back for one scene last season just to kill him and he was he grew up Borg, you know, he was a Borg yeah. kid. He was a kid, um, yeah. And and also you didn't have a problem with Picard being in Starfleet even after he was had been Locutus, so, you know, it's a little hard to see why they would care so much about um about Seven having I could, been borg
0: i could come up with reasons like each was sure a kid. I
1: come up with them yeah
0: each I- was a kid so you could you could say that you know he's if he wasn't a lifelong borg and picard was already a starfleet officer and there was suspicion of him when he got back there was I mean, host- hostility toward him when he got back so and he uh, also wasn't
2: a borg anywhere near as long and the implants weren't permanent right. unlike seven yeah in
0: i mean there have been lots of People who've been infected by nanites who got disinfected, shall we say. Yeah,
1: I just, I just, I have this feeling that if Hugh had wanted to join Starfleet, they would have let him. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, maybe.
2: I Uh, think there was just something, yeah, I don't know if
1: they thought that one through with with Seven, but Right, I think they're just making drama. It's interesting backstory, and I could imagine that being real, and, but... Um, it it just doesn't fit with the ridiculous idealistic optimism of Starfleet, right? Right, and what they've previously done with other Borg-related characters. Sure.
0: So as we have this interesting um, directorial, uh, uh, um, what am I trying to say this this way that they've directed this part of the episode where Picard and Tilly are going through the tunnels, and we see young young Picard and his mom. At, at times, at the same time, we're seeing older Picard and Tallinn. yeah. And it's like, is he reliving the memories or is he just remembering?
1: I, I don't know if that was clear. Oh, I thought he was just remembering them. So what to give the listener an idea of this, if you haven't seen it, they'll like have a close up of of adult Jean-Luc Picard and out of focus in the background, we'll see his mother walking through the tunnels in the mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. And I, And I thought that was a clever directorial Way of communicating. He's remembering what was happening in the tunnels when he was a kid.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Right. But um, he's not like psychotically in immersed in that and thinking that's real. Okay. There, there was one point when they first entered the tunnels
2: that I, that it almost looked like that's what they were doing, but they they pulled it out of that very quickly.
1: Right.
0: Right. And maybe that's why I got a little uh, wondering. So we also have. Um,
1: a oh, scene. speaking of speaking of directorial choices, though. Yeah there's a bad one uh, during this extended combat sequence because we've got Rafi and seven taking a different approach through the house above ground to try to get to the ship Mm -hmm. and they're being, they're skulking around trying to avoid Borg and, and then occasionally they get attacked by one. And there's this moment where one like jumps in through one of the windows, the, I guess the French windows (laughs) of Chateau Picard Mm -hmm. um, and attacks them. And he's bald, And the lighting is dim, and it looked like Picard was attacking them. (laughs) Right, Mm. and it's like no, 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 no. If you're going to have the lighting this dim, you got to visually distinguish this guy. Um, so it so we're not confused about who's fighting. I mean, if if he's going to be bald, he needs a big, huge beard or something to make it clear that it's not Picard. Or if he doesn't have a big, huge beard, he needs hair on the top of his head. Right, or he needs to be a woman, or he needs to be something that's not bald guy attacking. Uh, attacking Seven and Rafi in dim lighting.
0: Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. So uh, Ra- uh Hollow Elnor ends up uh, running from the the uh, special ops drones, and uh, they're shooting at him uh, the hologram, which unless they hit the hollow emitter, that's not going to do much good. And uh, so he ends up uh, getting with Rafi in Seven, and Rafi confesses to Hollow Elnor about her true motivations, which we saw in that, previous episode like why she was really she had really been emotionally manipulating him um and somehow somehow hollow elnor has real elnor's last memory before he died
1: or part of it
0: yeah how how is that working like did did we download him into the computer well
1: yeah. So let's see what we can do with this. What what Agnes <laughs> what Agnes tells us is that the ship can make a hollow duplicate of anyone who's ever been aboard it. Yeah. And they could be scanning Elnor. I mean, that would presume if it's anyone who's ever been aboard it, that might indicate it's got a record of everything that's ever happened on it. Yeah. And um and Elnor and thus there would be a record of Elnor's final moments. And maybe what he meant was, maybe what he meant was like, from what, because I forget exactly how he phrased it, but it was something like, from what I remember of Elnor's final moments, I'm confident his final thought of you was, you know, was of love. And he, that could be an external, just an external deduction based on observations of the hollow record of his last moments of life. Maybe.
0: I mean he See, I does say a lot more
2: absolute than that. I thought it was more mm-hmm. like, no, his last moment was a, yeah. a feeling of love. He
0: says he has of, memories of real Elnor's final breaths and knows enough to know that his last feelings would not have been of blame, but of love. Like he says, I have memories of his last, of his final well, breaths. Well, and
2: that, that, that could, I mean, that could be more of an external way. I remember that, but knowing his personality, okay. his last moments would have mm-hmm. been. So, I mean, I, I think there's, I think it's a very sloppily written way of saying basically, He was not, um, he
0: would have been, he did not hold this
2: against you. You he he did not stay around just because of your manipulation.
0: Right. Right.
2: And that his last moments were, he did not regret his last moments with you.
0: The holodeck doing the thing where it, it plays off of the, what people's needs are etc mm-hmm. yeah uh so seven got, has, got a
1: little bit of the emergency holographic counselor in there yes yes yep. uh, a little bit
0: uh, so uh then seven gets control of the transporter and beams the drones into the wall which i like to think is a, is a, a reference to classic tng fans uh who had the uh the, the campaign to beam wesley into a wall uh when we yeah. when we all disliked wesley in the early days uh, hmm. <laughs> the, uh, well, I, I just want to go into
2: outer
1: space not the wall
0: but just... <laughs> yeah. uh, so she i mean it's a brutal brutal way of of uh killing them and off
1: first time i think it's ever been done in star trek i mean we've beamed yeah. people into space before but not into a solid not into a solid object yeah
2: that was... Was say, there hasn't been like transporter accidents where that's happened for some reason i thought there was but maybe not
1: beam them into a, a... You not know. as a combat not a move. purpose. Yeah. Yeah, not not a purpose, yeah. Also, speaking of transporters, so Tolien's transporter. Mhm. What the heck is this? We're going to group outside Chateau Picard and then split up and walk either above or below ground to the ship around the Borg because you can't go through them. Mhm. You've got a transporter. Transport underneath yep. the ship. Or, or into, the ship. into the ship or something. You can easily avoid these Borg. You don't need to yeah. subject yourself to this danger.
0: Apparently, the exactly. transport, the, the, the Tillens transporter is powerful enough that it can get around and through Federation technology, transport inhibitors and shields and stuff. I mean, that was established in TOS, right? With Gary Seven. I thought mm-hmm. this was this is an extremely advanced technology. So, yeah, yeah. it's a it's a huge plot hole. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um so
2: it's the typical transporter plot hole though we've talked about it before yeah Yeah, i think you did jimmy where it's like you know if you're in combat and you've got a transporter use it to your advantage
1: yeah yeah they've never exploited the 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 uh combat potential of a transporter it can just do so much
0: especially now that it's like instant transport where you can walk and transport and come beam in and beam out and it's like all that instant stuff man that would be yeah that would be killer on the battlefield
1: Instantly outflank your enemies, you know, when they turn in one direction, you appear behind them and then you beam them into a wall. (laughs) Yeah, right. So uh, Queen Agnes, meanwhile, turns
0: off uh, Hollow Elnor, impales seven, uh, but before she can kill seven, Agnes stops the queen and Agnes reveals that her emotions now, just like her emotions allowed the queen to take control before, it's now allowing her to take back some control. And uh, Agnes reveals that in every timeline, the Borg always lose. This is another revelation that we get just in dialogue. Um, So she proposes that the the Borg, the problem is that we have a little bit of a management consulting going on. See, the problem is that the Borg always offer connection without a choice. Well, what if they just asked nicely? What if they use the Borg powers for good and not evil? Build a better Borg based not on assimilation, but salvation. And assimilate the scraps of the galaxy, all those people who are dying and in need, and have no better choice than to become part of a greater collective with some autonomy, a little bit. <laughs> so, what did you guys yeah. think of
2: this this bit? The Borg cooperative instead of the Borg collective.
0: I'm <laughs> guessing the Borg co-op. They uh, yeah. grow yeah. and they grow vegetables and bring them to the market on the weekend. commune. Commune. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. There you go. Basically, Borg commies. Ah, Borg hippies. Borg hippies. That's right.
2: I, I, I can see where they're I think I think I see where they're going that, you know, we, we there's been speculation um, you know, that that the, the Borg Queen we saw at the start of the season was your Queen and Yes. You know, that's that's yeah. kind of what they're leading towards. And this is a new like like you said, Jimmy, a kindler, gentler Borg
1: mm-hmm. right.
2: Cooperative. And I it just hits weird to me. I I can't really put my finger on it, but it's just the the, the whole Dialogue was kind of like, so now Jurati's powerful enough to completely change the mindset of the Borg Queen, and the Borg Queen goes along with it happily.
1: Not happily, but is willing to try it. She's actually still kind of resentful, but she's willing to try it. Um, So I thought aspects of that, the dialogue in that conversation was fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought it had some interesting insights, but ultimately I thought it was flat Um, I, first of all, infinite timelines, I don't think you lose in all of them.
0: Right. Um, and
1: fans have even pointed out that, you know, there was that one timeline in the Wharf jumping timelines episode where Riker was in charge of the Enterprise and the Borg were everywhere. And, you know, he was like panicking. He didn't want to go back. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but of course, you know, that could be a stage before the Borg get defeated in that timeline. But I just don't buy it that in infinite timelines, the Borg always lose, um, And I I did like some, I liked, like one line I did like is where Agnes is talking to the queen about her Icarus worthy arrogance and they didn't Mm -hmm. even stop to explain who Icarus was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that was a nice sign of respect for the intelligence of the audience and that you don't often get in television. And so I'm going to respect our audiences too and not explain who Icarus is because <laughs> Wikipedia, okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, but I thought that was a really good line. I don't think she effectively sold the Good Board proposal though. Mm-mm. If I'm thinking from the Queen's perspective, I would be very unconvinced. Um, I think they needed to do something more to sell this to the Queen. Or and 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 it might be something like Girardi dominates the queen's personality, and the queen starts mm. losing control. And dominate uh, <clears throat> starts asserting control because she's some genius programmer. Maybe she's written a virus that's rewriting the nanites and starts giving her control again. But as a board queen, she's now going to do things her way. And then we wouldn't need this speech convincing, you know, the current queen to give this a try. Yeah. But I I didn't, uh, I wasn't completely happy with how that conversation went. I didn't think it was fully persuasive. Also, yeah. there's another bit of bad dialogue earlier where for, the, for a moment, Seven and Rafi have the upper hand and they've got the queen on the floor. And Rafi says to the queen, we've got you dead to rights. And and she means something like, we're in charge now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we've got you dead to rights. You have overwhelming evidence of her guilt? Because <laughs> that's what well, dead to rights too. mean. That's, yeah. old, that's old street thief slang from New yeah. York. And it means you've got overwhelming evidence of someone's guilt. Maybe by the 25th century, it means that the, it, yeah, yeah, but this is 21st century television and that's bad, right? yeah
0: Yeah, actually around that point is when the, you know, uh, the queen who is still in control at this point, you know, says, um, she's assimilated millions of languages. They've all had common concepts such as love, hope, and fear, but, and she says, and futility and species no. thrive without love. Kingdom Kingdoms conquer without fear, but it's the imperfect nature of all organic things to fight an unwinnable battle against an undefeatable foe, death. And I'm like, species do not thrive. Like intelligent species, at least the ones mm-hmm. we know of, do not thrive without love. That's just wrong.
1: Yeah. Almost. Also, uh, the idea that futility is going to be more common than love or fear. No. No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, love and love and fear are big iconic words in every human language. Futility is not yeah it's just big for the borg <laughs> yeah. yeah um but gerardi says
0: you long to the queen you long for all what we all long for connection longevity discovery only you offer it without choice so she tells her let's build a universe of sevens. seven is the best of us she says you know so using her borg abilities to serve her humanity so it's a she looks at seven as this amalgam this uh hybrid that is the model for what the borg should be which is take what take the technology that makes you better and serve Mm -hmm. the humanity as opposed to dominate it so um and that's when the queen relents and heals seven but the cost is that seven has to get all her implants back for some reason the same implants yeah um so meanwhile a little convenient Yes, it is exactly. A, I mean, and, and, you know, sad for seven because she was had been rejoicing at not having all this stuff on her anymore. Uh, she's been reborgified. Meanwhile, Rios has come back to to the rescue of Picard and Tellen, Um, and, and, you know, someone we really haven't mentioned at all this episode is Adam Sung, who has been chasing, uh, Picard with his Borg drone he's just, zombies. He's just the mustache twirling villain
2: at this point. I mean, he yeah. really has no. Other than being the bad guy, the face of the the bad guys, and, he's really got no part in this. And he
1: quips a lot. Yeah. You know, oh. um, yes. Even at one point, it, it, it oh, it's just this. I hate this line. I will <laughs> occasionally talk about paint by numbers writing. Yeah. And it comes up a lot like in discussions of earlier 1960s episodes of Doctor Who, where you have this there's a certain set of cliches that you hear that writers would use to convey drama and stretch out the runtime. And it's like, but you must believe us. Okay, give him some evidence. But you must believe us or you must believe him. And and that's just a chance we'll have to take. And it's a calculated risk. And it's like, okay, show me the calculations, dude. Um, (sighs) There's there's I and I really hate this style of writing. And we have one of the worst offenders in this episode where um, Adam Sung is talking to Picard and he says, shame, really, in another future, we might have become friends. And I'm going, and in another future, you may have been a little frog that grows up to be an oak tree. I don't care (laughs) about that. Um, You know, this is a ridiculously cliched line that tries to establish parity between the villain and the hero. Mm
2: -hmm. Right, right. You know, and they could have they could have thrown something I actually thought would have been kind of clever to say, yeah, in my timeline, I became a friend with your descendant. His name was Data. Yeah, yeah. You know, something as simple as that. Right, right. Um, But no, of course, they couldn't do that.
0: So we have this merger between Agnes and the Queen that this final merger, and she's going to take the Serena off to create the new kinder, gentler Borg and show up sometime in the future.
1: And they remind us that Seven is the legal owner of the La Serena at this point. It's no longer Rios's ship. So Seven can give it away. Give it away.
0: Yes. Which, yep. which she has to tell Rios because he complains later. Uh, and then we get the resolution of the Picard and his parents uh, memories thing where we have Jean-Luc open a conservatory door, having found his mother had hanged herself and we get this interesting, another interesting directorial decision about showing the backtracking from her hanging, mm-hmm. showing everything in reverse, him all tracing it all the way back to having opened the door where his mother, his father locked his mother in and climbed into bed with her. Like it was his mom. Mm-hmm. He was cuddling with her. Yep.
1: Um, I don't know that that was directorial. I think that may have been a writing choice. Okay. Because it yeah. affects so much of the runtime. That's true. And, and I, I thought it was a very interesting way of uh the back with this extended backward sequence I yeah. thought was, was was effective. I like that. That was nice and creative.
0: Right. It kind yeah. of lets it's it's the visualization of how Picard traces back to his own his own uh role in what happened in the tragic event. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So uh then we get this explanation that goes all the way back to I think first season Yes uh, TNG. Like this,
1: for, the fifth episode.
0: Why yeah. Picard in that weird uh, outside the universe dimension, why he saw his mother as an elderly woman serving him tea.
1: And yeah, when she died I, young. And I went back after, so they have Picard in his voiceover alluding to that, that later he would imagine his mother as an elderly mm-hmm. woman offering him tea and asking to have a chat. And I went back and I rewatched that sequence in uh, the episode is called Where No One Has Gone Before. Mm -hmm. And this is the one where they first introduce the Traveler. And because of his weird abilities, they get shot out of the known universe into some weird space where your thoughts become reality And Picard foolishly gets on the intercom and tells everyone not to think of anything bad. So (laughs) at that moment, the enterprise should have vaporized. (laughs) Um, Because this is, don't think of an elephant. You know, it's like if your thoughts really are becoming reality. Don't tell people not to think about certain things because that's what they will immediately think about.
0: I imagine the state like of marshmallow, marshmallow man. <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. that first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I, but Picard at one point turns a corner as he's walking through the ship going somewhere important, and his mom is there at a little table with tea, and she mm-hmm. has, as an old woman, and it's a creepy scene. Yes. And he's like, How can you possibly be here? Because you're, and she finishes the sentences for him dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I'm always with you, John Luke. You know that. And he's like, yeah, but how are you here? And and it's a fascinating conversation. Eventually, just as he's about he's like asking her, does she understand this place? And so he's taking the possibility that she's really here seriously, Um, that this is her in this weird space that they're in. Um, And then Riker comes up behind him and like first season next gen Picard he angrily overreacts and snaps at Riker and then when he turns back his mom is no longer there and he's just crouching in the hallway by himself and it's a really effective scene and more so in the light of what they've now how they now retconned it on Picard Mm
0: -hmm. yes yes uh yeah it is it it makes it all all the more pathos that that that's a an, an image that he had to give himself of his mother uh to to, to mitigate the guilt that he felt so like we said uh seven and rafi let queen agnes now the the now merged queen agnes go with the ship based on her promise and uh, she says that she tells them about how for the mission to succeed there must be two rene's one who lives and one who dies which is an interesting um problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) which we'll undoubtedly uh see next time and uh Sung himself has gone off to go stop the Europa mission. Uh, yeah. And that leaves us with a lot of, we, we've we tied up a bunch of loose ends. We've tied mm-hmm. up the, the Borg queen mm-hmm. and that sort of
1: stuff. But there's a lot that we still need to deal with. We need to deal with the Borg joining the Federation. Yeah. Q, Q dying. Yep. What the purpose of all this was. Right. The resolution of the Rios and Teresa plotline and the resolution of the Picard and Laris plotline.
0: Right and yep. well and also the resolution of um whatever sung is going to do with Renee, and they're yeah. going to tie all that up in one episode um oh, so we had uh, one uh patron suggest the in a, a message that i saw this morning that uh maybe they're going to um do to be continued
1: no they're going to no. they're going to breeze through these things
0: they're going to wrap it all up in one yeah. yeah. I I I have a feeling like the
2: the the two Renées, the René that lives and the René that dies is going to be a psychological two Renées mm. where the the René that's the the you know go and explore the universe versus the René who is the anxiety 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 controlled person. And of course the anxiety controlled person is the one that needs to die and the mm. the action René is the one that survives
1: something like that something like
2: that I mean something along that line that's just off the top of my head something like that
1: my guess and it's an interesting possibility my guess is that Talin is going to be the second Renee because she has she has changeling tech she can alter her appearance Uh and she's committed to preserving the life of the real Renée and so what occurred to me was uh, at some point in order to have one of, in order to have two Renées she'll use her changeling tech to appear to be Renée and then voluntarily sacrifice herself
0: and then the real Renée
1: lives and does whatever needs to happen
0: Okay, so the Talin will let herself be killed by Sung, who thinks he's killing the real yep,
1: Renee, or something along those lines, or some, or something like that. Yeah, and and that's consistent with her mission as a Watcher. Her 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 whole purpose in life at this point is to, at least her assignment, is to protect Renee Picard because of her place in the future at all costs. And
0: that will uh, increase the pathos for the Picard, Laris. Uh, the plot line, mm-hmm. etc. That that makes sense. That's uh, that's plausible to me. So we shall see. Uh and uh, any last thoughts on this episode, Father Corey? Uh the only thing is you know, I saw questions online
2: about uh the mental illness, whole issue with Picard's mom and mental illness. And you know, well why why in the you know the twenty fourth, twenty fifth century can they not handle this? In I think these people in commented that they missed that that Maurice Picard had said when Picard was in it, when Jean-Luc was in his dream state, basically, that he tried to get her help and she refused it. Right. So the, the, the issue wasn't that the help wasn't there.
1: The issue was that they won't, don't force people to take the help. And because the Federation is a liberal democracy, it has robust uh, medical decision making. rights. Exactly. So exactly. You don't so, want to be treated. I, I, they're not going to
2: force it on you. But that was that was a line that was thrown by very quickly yeah. when, you know, because cause, there's all this emotion of Picard, Jean-Luc, seeing his dad in this new light, that he wasn't a, an authoritarian, he wasn't cruel. He was trying to protect the family. He was trying to protect his mom trying to protect Robert and, and Jean-Luc. And, but Picard, they, with that big emotional change of, oh, he really was a wonderful man and a wonderful father... they just threw that line in there and it kind of snuck under for, I think for some people.
1: Okay. Uh, Jimmy, any final thoughts? Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) So good, both good and bad. So when they beam back to to Talin's pad, the first thing Rios tells, this is bad writing. The first thing Rios tells Dr. Teresa to do is put a blanket on her son because he's in shock. I'm going, she is literally a doctor. <laughs> yeah. We need Spaceman from the future to tell a doctor to diagnose shock and apply appropriate treatment. Space cleaning. Really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: uh, on the other hand, good, good writing. Seven proves to be an effective tactician. In this, and she gets to show off her tactical skills. Um, Rafi is convinced that Seven would be the best captain. I'm going. Is Seven really the person who would be the best captain in Starfleet <laughs> history? I think you I think your perspective may be a little slanted there. Biased. Um, Rafi and Seven together in when they're doing the running through the darkened house bit and they're attacked by a borg um they uh, they don't have any ranged weapons anymore because drama and um they've got a knife and seven tosses the knife to Rafi, just like your mom taught you how to throw knives to Mm. to other kids. Oh, yeah. Um, And and she catches it and she's got a Borg on the special ops Borg on the ground in front of her and she goes to stab and the two of them have to force the knife into the person to kill them. Mm -hmm. And it's a very effective, powerful moment where you have Seven and Rafi slow mo essentially slow motion stabbing someone to death. Yeah. Um, so I was glad they didn't shy away from that. Um, on the other hand, bad writing, uh, when they get to the outside of the house, there's this like sea of Borg special ops people in front of them. And seven has even hung a lantern on it and said, we're not getting out of this. Cause Rafi starts say, you know, after this is all over and Seven's like, we're not getting out of this um but they have no ranged weapons they've got like a knife and an ice pick and they're going to run through this field of borg special ops to try to get to the ship and we show we get shown them starting to do that and it's completely unbelievable that these mm-hmm. borg guys with laser sights and machine guns will not simply mow them down Right. Yeah. As they're crossing that field. And yet somehow they get across, which we don't see them getting across, but somehow they get across and they got to get on board the ship. And I'm going, I'm sorry, that is just lame. That is bad writing, it, you know, and it, if they hadn't made the creative choices they already had made, they could have used the transporter to get across that field. But having them run across it and some with an ice pick and a knife and somehow survive people with laser sights and machine guns. It's just I, not believable. And, and not pick
2: up a machine gun. Yeah. And not pick up a machine right, gun not in the pick process.
1: Up a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing. Uh, Picard at one point finds a gun and um, in the World War II era military supplies. Ancient in, Ruger. In, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, try, and he like shoots a Borg with it, which is fine. I mean, it's, you know, the ammo really be good. That barrel hasn't been oiled in 80 years. Yeah. Um, but, um, but whatever. And then he throws it away and I'm always annoyed by people in these, it's like, do not throw away potentially valuable assets. Okay. Right. Even if you cannot shoot the gun anymore because it's out of ammo, you can bludgeon people with it better than you can bludgeon them with your fists. It is made of harder material. Don't throw away assets like that. Yeah.
0: yeah, I was thinking with the with the drones. You know, one thing we've always noticed is that drones don't, tend to be tactically cannon fodder. You know, they mm-hmm. they, they mm-hmm. overwhelm with numbers, and maybe it's maybe what we're seeing is that the drones, even though they are special ops, they just don't ha- they don't use that. They don't have that ability, the memories, the experience, all that stuff. They just merely have the physicality that they had as before they were drones. And bigger, so,
2: faster, stronger, and stupider? Yeah, mm-hmm. well, right. Yeah. They,
0: they just don't have the, yeah, they don't have their memories, which, you know, I don't know. I, I just, one thing I think is night vision devices would have really come in handy for them at this point. You know, they would have <laughs> mopped <laughs> the field with, with the others. But yeah, I, I agree yeah. with the,
1: with those, Jimmy. Also, the Borg are continuing to fight Picard and the gang without hesitating while the kindler, gentler Borg conversation is underway. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and the queen doesn't seem to be aware of any of this. And I could retcon, okay, this is going on in the background of her mind. But if Agnes is making progress with the queen, they should. And and, I mean, it's really, you get to the point where the queen is like going, okay, we can give this a try. And her drones are still attacking right it's like what kind of hive mind is this yeah. um they well they they shouldn't be attacking at this point they should all put down their weapons you don't have to kill them all now i i
2: i headcan that basically they weren't fully integrated yet and maybe well, yeah. it really wasn't a hive mind yet so because we, we've seen that it, we have seen that in, in the past where you know when they first get assimilated it's not a complete assimilation until later
1: so yeah they're assimilated well i mean you know maybe they've got the nanites but
2: that doesn't mean that they're assimilated yet so
1: we also have a dna locked phaser which is interesting Mm -hmm. um that uh because sung picks up this weapon and rios beams in and he points it at rios and and says i'm guessing even someone from the 21st century doesn't have to know too much to be able to shoot this thing and rios says you don't but you, you need the right DNA. And if you hold it for too long, it's going to it's going to blow up, which he soon realizes just in time and throws it up in the air and it explodes, which lets him get away. Um, and so that's kind of an interesting concept. Um, the um, I've seen it used before. Um mm-hmm. Now, it's kind of like when you are, when you've forgotten your, I mean, your DNA is essentially your password to use this device. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like when you're using an online service and you've forgotten your password and you're guessing and you guess too many times and it locks your account for some period. Um that's kind of what's going on here, except it wants to blow up after you've put in the wrong DNA password for too <laughs> long, and and that, I don't know that that's realistic. Although I have seen it used effectively in one context. Larry Niven has a short story called "The Soft Weapon," and in the, it's, it's set in his Known Space universe. And in the Soft Weapon, there are these stasis boxes from a billion years ago. And whenever they're found, people are will open them because they may contain old technology from a race a billion years ago called the slavers. And they, they open up one of these boxes, and it's got a device in it that, depending on the setting you put it on, will change shape and do very different things. Some of them would be good for listening. Some of them would be good for espionage or for uh, transportation. Some of them would be good as a weapon. But there's no one overall function to this thing. And, and so the, it gets captured by bad people who happen to be who we who are later integrated. In fact, there's an animated version of this story in Star Trek, the animated series. It's called Mm -hmm. the slaver. I think it's called the slaver weapon instead of the soft weapon. But um, but it gets captured by Kazinti and it could be really bad if they crack the technology behind this thing. And the ultimate solution is uh, one of the humans or at least one of the good guys. Re- yeah, it is one of the humans realizes what the purpose of the weapon is, is for, um, because there would be better ways to do everything it does if you had a dedicated device. So why would you want a single device that does all these things? Who would that be useful for? A spy. And so it, this is a spy device. And um, and so he tricks the Kuzinty into turning it to the computer setting and talk to the computer. And so what do you do if you're a if you're a spy weapon that is being talked to by people who do not know what you are and who do not speak the proper language of your masters and do not have the proper code words, you blow up. Mm. And so I've seen this, you know, don't treat the device right and it will blow up on you, um, played to good effect. And this is kind of like that here. So I thought that was interesting. I thought it was a little convenient as a writing choice. But then we have after the revelations about, oh, also, (laughs) um, Teresa is told to use a tricorder to extract a bullet. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you know, that, too. Yeah. that that doesn't make a lot of sense. Also, by the way, you don't necessarily there's always this thing in, in TV and movies about we've got to get the bullet out of this guy right now. Why? Because it's going to lead poison him. You know, actually yeah. bullets remaining in you until you can. The, the thing is, you need to suture. You need to get it out there and immediately stop the bleeding. If you prematurely take out a bullet, it's not going to help the person. It's just going to cause them to bleed out. Um, but they, they usually don't consider that. Um, but after the revelations about Picard's mom, Picard and Tallinn stand in the conservatory, if that's what we're calling it, talking about Picard's feelings for minutes. And we are in the middle of an unresolved crisis. He does not know what's going on on the ship with the Borg Queen he doesn't know about the negotiations to have a kinder gentler collective and so it it it, it makes no sense from a writing point of view to have picard just Start talking about his feelings and how he's imagined things, his mom being old and giving him tea for years and stuff like that for minutes in the middle of an unresolved crisis. So when he finally walks outside and sees the La Serena taking off with the Bo- Agnes, the new Borg Queen, on board. He must believe he's a total failure, <laughs> right. and and that, that that the queen is now going to shoot Renee's starship out of the sky, and they've just totally failed because they they he is missing as a character. He is miss, missing crucial knowledge that the situation had already been resolved. So one other plot hole, which I'm sure mm-hmm.
0: they'll just ignore, is uh, how does you know it, now everything is fixed because Adam son can't possibly get back to Los Angeles to to in time to mess with René Picard because he's mm. in France without a passport <laughs> or a transporter so mm. he's just going to yep. you know find a way onto a plane and fly the many 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 hours to get back to Los Angeles right he of well, course not. he might
1: he might be able to pull strings from France and he actually might have his passport on him. Uh, these days passports, they make passports that are like driver's licenses.
0: Yeah. I, I have one.
1: Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and so you can just keep them in your wallet, like your driver's license. Yeah. Except they don't work for international
2: travel via aircraft, only ground travel, at least right now. So. Right.
0: Maybe in 2024, but he still has to get yep. his, I mean, he has to take conventional transportation back to Los Angeles from, france but you know whatever or pull Uh, strings from uh, europe yeah it's kind of uh yeah they'll i'm sure they'll just skip over that which is fine all right so that's our discussion of hide and seek let's uh get to our listener feedback that we got on our last episode called mercy uh john s on discord said what does the revelation of the vulcans visiting earth in this episode Mean for first contact, Star Trek first contact. Why would Vulcans have been on Earth before the invention of warp?
1: Um, so they addressed that in the series Star Trek: Enterprise, where yep. in an episode called Carbon Creek, where it was established that Vulcans had been on Earth as early as the 1950s and were operating secretly in the background, and uh, and they alluded to there being periodic future checkup missions. To see what this new species was doing, but they didn't feel th- in in hindsight the retcon is they didn't feel we were ready for first contact until it was kind of forced on them by our discovery of warp drive right because right. now we 're going to be out there, and so it's kind of like okay, even though these we don't really think these you know monkey boys are uh, are 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 are, are mm. that hot uh, now they're going to be out here, and so we need to make contact with them now. Yeah. And that's what made us appropriate yeah. to to have first contact. And even then, they could be right that we weren't ready because in the alternate timeline, Zephyrm Cochrane shoots them and takes over and initiates <laughs> yep. the uh, mirror universe. That's right, that's exactly. Right.
0: So, uh, meanwhile, uh, another question Evan on Discord says in Enterprise again, the Star Trek Enterprise, we learned that during a certain time period that I believe would include. However, many years before 2024, this encounter took place. Yes. Uh, mind melds were considered a deviant act in Vulcan society. And since we know that these Vulcans practice mind melding, it's possible that these Vulcans were a splinter group and not on an official mission for the Vulcan government.
1: It, it, well, it's an interesting possibility. It could, all, it could be that they were a, a, a rogue sect that had different beliefs. It could be this guy was a member of a rogue sect, the one who did the mind meld, or it could be that he was not a member of a rogue sect, but he thought this was an emergency situation right? and decided mm-hmm. to do it. And e- if either he was a member of a rogue sect or he just did it as an emergency measure, that could explain why they beamed him out in the middle of it. Right, exactly. It's like, right. you're doing something you're not supposed to do. We're taking you out of there. You're being icky with the human.
0: So stop.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, thank you both for your feedback. We really do appreciate you getting that. Uh, As we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Star Trek, including Sean E., Connie Z., Rob H., Frank C., and Claire R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We would love to hear what you think of Hide and Seek, this second to last episode of Star Trek Picard Season 2. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord we'll be back next time when we will be discussing the final episode of Star Trek Picard season 2 called Farewell properly enough and then a bonus because uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds also starts this week we'll have another episode in it uh, right afterward we're not sure exactly when it will release but as soon as i can edit it <laughs> where we will discuss the first new first episode of the new Star Trek Strange New Worlds uh, season 1 Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Akin, thank you as well. Thank you and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, love is always a gift.